things get a little bit grim. But this is especially heinous. Did you tell the police that she was murdered, May? Nope. Witchy ghost stuff. Ah! Don't make me scared. A spooky girl amateur hour. Hi. Hi. (laughs) (laughs) What's happening with you on your end of the world over there? Oh, I am just dreading this week with my whole soul. I have to go to Iowa tomorrow, Mm. and I leave at... My plane departs at 6.30 in the morning. Yikes! Where are you departing from? Fort Wayne, thank God. Okay. But, goodbye, Josephine. (laughs) Um, I will have to get up at 4.30 so that I can be there by 6.30. Wait. I mean, I like, I have to be there by 6 so that my plane can leave by 6.30. You need to be there a little bit before six, Miss Ma'am. So, the uh, Fort Wayne Airport and I have a very tumultuous relationship. Okay. Where I refuse to get there sooner before, like, a half an hour. Why? Do you have a checked bag? Yeah. But I check it before I get there. Like, I pay for it, and all I have to do is drop it off. Oh, okay. At the counter. Uh <laughs> And then I just run to my gate as fast as I can. And I this is this is the thing that I do every time. But I'm also a really not a great morning traveler. Sure. So, uh, yeah, that's just it is what it is going to be. And then I have a layover for three hours in Charlotte at 8 a.m. Wait, Charlotte, North Carolina? Yes. You're going the opposite so way. So that I can go to Iowa. <laughs> <laughs> and... I will get to Iowa at 1.15. I have to pick up my rental car, and then I immediately have to go to a site and work 2 to 6. And I am running a site next week. You are? Yes. Wow. I have not run a site in three years. <laughs> Taylor's so been in corporate land. We, I am going, I'm excited about the opportunity because it'll be really fun to do again, I think, I hope. But it's also in the land of... Sites that are Struggle just bus. struggling right now. We just don't have staff. If you're listening listening in Iowa and you want a job. <laughs> That's literally the story across the entire nation. Though. I know. Oh, God, it's so bad. Mm-hmm. And I mean, we just and the hardest thing to watch is just the people who who are working are picking up the slack and mm-hmm. their souls are breaking. People are at their breaking point. And all I can do is watch. Yes. Which is why I'm going out to run a site. To help. But I just, the the unknown always gives me anxiety. Mm-hmm. And so the anxiety is being real peaky today. Okay. Okay. <laughs> but it's all going to be fine. There's nothing that is going to happen that I can't handle. I've, I ran a site for five years. I can do it. This is very much within your wheelhouse. It is. I literally, it is my job to teach people how to do this. So therefore, you can do it. So therefore, I can. It's just, it's been a minute, and I know that I'm going to have a new hire with me, and he is going to be watching my every move. Yeah, and so it's just very much like a high pressure. You have to do it perfect because this is how this person is going to learn from you. Okay. Well, I think we should like do away with that concept because perfection is not a thing. Okay. (laughs) I know. Listen. I've been I've been jellyfishing for the past four days. Yeah. Very loosey goosey. Uh-huh. Just let go of Just that. Just let go of it. Are you gonna do your okay. best? Yeah. Okay, what else can you expect of yourself? I love this happening from you right now, but <laughs> it's not helping you. <laughs> it's just 
<laughs> this is it feels very much like my therapist being like, how can you help your friends grieve? And I'm like, I'm going to do what I want to do. I do. <laughs> like, w- what you have to say to me is very kind and helpful, <laughs> but like, but it's not- different in practice. Sure. I get it. I mean, I, listen, I get it. But you know what? I believe that you will be perfect. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks. Welcome. Uh, so how was your trip? You just got back like I minutes ago. Just got back moments ago. It was so good. Um, The only thing that made my heart sad was we were 30 minutes from the Bell Witch Cave. <gasps> but they had heavy rains and the caves are closed. So I couldn't go. Damn it. I know. I was so upset. Oh, I'm so sorry. It's okay. But other than that, it was really good. You know, we went to the Grand Ole Opry and it made my heart so full. Oh, good. Because it was the first sold out show oh. since COVID. Yeah. And all of the artists, we saw um, famous country people. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry. Yeah, this is embarrassing. Whatever. We saw some big old ones, I guess. Okay. Um, I will find out from Ian who you saw later. Okay. Yes. Ian will know. He I'll was very him. excited. Um, And they were all just like so happy to be here. And they're like, it's so weird to be in front of like live people because they just started yeah. doing live shows like a couple days ago. Oh my gosh. So it was just really, really awesome. It's that that feeling of are things starting to go back to normal? Can we do these things again? It is cautious anticipation uh jamie and i went to see a movie yesterday (gasps) oh my gosh i love that for you guys yeah it was really fun we had like a pool party in the afternoon like went back to her house took a shower we're like do you want to go see a movie (laughs) we did yeah and then it was our first movie of the season and uh my friend jamie and i love movies like in 2020 our goal was to go see a movie every month which blew up in our faces (laughs) but this was the first movie that we'd seen in a year and a half and we went to see cruella was it good? Well, here's uh, the thing. 30 minutes before the end of the movie, the crew came in and said we had to evacuate. What? Because the power went out, but the power was definitely still on. The movie was still playing. The lights were on. Everybody was like, what? What a weird lie. What kind of glitch in the Matrix are y'all living in that the power is out? Because in our, our reality, the power is very much still on. <laughs> And they made us leave. What? I mean, all of us were just standing in the lobby with like our coats or our like purses and stuff. We were just like, what the, what is happening? And nobody could explain why we had to leave. It was just, we had a power outage and we were like, no, you didn't. The power is on. Like you're against 200 people who witnessed the power not go off. (laughs) Something else is happening. You're telling me underneath fluorescent lights that the power is off. Yeah. I was like, uh. What? This is easily debunked. Absolutely. (laughs) So it was just a little crazy and not the super amazing cinematic experience that I was anticipating. Okay. So that was fun. (laughs) But still good. Well, I mean, you can't tell me how it ended, but was the rest of it good? It was. I really like Emma Stone. I think that they could have done a better job maybe explaining how we got to Cruella. Okay. Because she starts off as not Cruella it it is kind of like they went on a like a little disassociative identity disorder okay (laughs) 
not to make light storyline that's, a very, that's no. a very heavy disease no but that's what it that's what it felt like they were doing like she oh. had two personalities but that wasn't explained in the storyline oh and so there are like she switches back and forth between estella and cruella, and cruella. And even Cruella has the accent that we're familiar with in the 101 Dalmatians. And Estella doesn't have that same accent. Interesting. So that was, I think that could have used a little more explanation. Okay. Because it just felt very much like, is this, are they going with a um, personality switch that she can switch back and forth. It's not like she switches to Cruella and that's just it. Like she, she there's back about a half an hour where she's going back and forth between the two. Interesting. So I don't know. I'm interested to see how it ends someday. I'll see the last <laughs> half hour of this movie. I'm not going to pay for it on Disney Plus. So. <laughs> so. So I guess I don't know what I'm going to do. You better write an angry letter. Oh, the I theater. tweeted it. Uh, Regal. <laughs> We're at that age now. Uh, yeah. I was like, um, weird how they said the power went out. It did not. I just If went, anybody got an incident report about it, I would like to say that this is incorrect. At this point, I would just like to know the truth out of curiosity. Right. And Ryan said he brought up a good point. He said that sometimes like systems can go down and he, they don't know if um, like safety features are on or not. Oh. So he was like their fire suppression system might have been down. And they don't, they can't let people in the building if, if that's happened. And I was sure. like, that makes sense, I guess. But they could have said that. That would have made more sense to me than the power is out. Yes. So, anywho, weird, weird thing, but. Well, I love that you got a taste of normalcy. Yeah, I love that you got to have a taste of normalcy <gasps> and get away for a couple of oh days. My gosh, you deserve was... a, you deserve a heckin' break. Thank you. Thank you. I also felt like I deserved a heck of a break. Things were tumultuous, you know? But yeah. it is what it is. That is life. Speaking of tumultuous, <gasps> it's true crime day. It's true crime day. Good segue. <laughs> I love that. Way to get us back on track. Whoop, 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 whoop. Uh, I'm really excited about my true crime today. I don't know what you're doing. Um, you go first today. Okay. All right. I'm really excited about mine too. It is not a well-known story. Ooh. So it is a, I don't want to call it a one-off. I mean, murder is never a <laughs> one and done, like a lighthearted topic at all. But, uh, hopefully maybe this is something that y'all haven't heard before. I love it. Okay. I'm just going to lean, I'm just going to lean back in my dashiki and relax. Yeah, you do that. Okay. Uh, this is the murder of Julie Scully. Ooh, I like that last name. I do too. So that is her maiden name and she starts off, um, the story starts off, she's married. So she is Julie Nist. Okay. Uh, Julie Nist was beautiful, smart, and had the whole world at her finger- fingertips. Julie had been featured in a local magazine slash tabloid called The Trentonian, which had a feature called Page Six. Hmm. Page Six was dedicated to gorgeous women in bikinis. Julie was featured 10 times in the early 90s and was named Girl of the Year. Dang, Julie. Beautiful, statuesque, a a dark skin tone, dark hair, beautiful smile. She's gorgeous. Heckin' smoke show. Absolutely. In 1992, Julie was on the Maury Povich show to defend Page Six against attacks from women's rights activists. <laughs> well, you know, I think it's at that time when uh, women 
flaunting their bodies was was looked down upon and now like women are like do it it. go for it yeah Yeah, you're fucking hot go be in a bikini in a magazine i love that for you get that money (laughs) chase that bag sis uh so i just think it's interesting like the 90s a woman was defending her right to do whatever the fuck she wanted to other women oh how far we've come right it's just the same argument (laughs) to other 12 times over right uh julie adored the limelight and the local celebrity status that modeling brought her Julie was used to being the prettiest girl in the room and loved the attention that she would get. She snagged some larger gigs, such as modeling for Coors Light. Ooh. Yeah. She was married to Timnist, who, by all accounts, seems to be a millionaire. Very wealthy. I wish... Did you say Jim or Tim? Tim. Oh. I like gymnast. Gymnast. (laughs) (laughs) No. Sadly, it is not. Um, he owned a very successful lawn care company, and they had a charmed life with money, cars, the affluent neighborhood in Trenton, uh, New Jersey, where they were from. They had it all. Julie and Tim had welcomed a daughter named Katie in 1996, and they had been married for eight years at this point in 1996. Julie was 30 and Tim was 41. Julie was also going to school and working to, toward a engineering degree. Jeez. Big moves. Absolutely. While everything looked perfect on the outside, not everything was as it seemed. Unfortunately, Julie was not happy in her marriage, and after she had Katie, she suffered from postpartum depression. As she was getting older and her body had changed from having Katie, she didn't feel as pretty as she once was and dealt with a lot of really, really bad insecurities and fears of getting older. Mm. Poor thing. Yeah. Uh, when Katie was about a year old, Jim and Julie decided Jim and Julie. See, now I can't sorry. unthink it. I'm sorry. <laughs> Tim and Julie decided to go on a cruise. Some sources say that this was uh, them trying to rekindle their relationship, while others say Tim was completely naive to there even being any issues, and he just thought we were going on like a really fun vacation. Leave it to a man to be in a crumbling marriage and totally unaware Absolutely. that the marriage is crumbling. Yeah. Like, the beauty... Of, like, men's ability to be unaware. Honestly, I... It's astonishing. I'm jealous of it. Aspire to be that nice. I aspire to be that clueless uh, about my surroundings. I mean, that and, like, never having having anxieties, being like, do you stop? Like, oh, my God, every day. Every day. I called Ian at work crying one day, and I was like, you didn't ask me to be your valentine. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> weird since he asked you to be his wife like two months before (laughs) still it's the little things guys he's so sick of me yeah oh gosh so anywho they went on this uh, caribbean cruise in november of 1997 they were having a splendid time and one day while docked tim decided to lay on the beach while julie was out swimming in the ocean while she was floating on a raft a young man swam up to her and strummed up a conversation Uh, th- his name was George Skiadopoulos. Nice. He was a petty officer aboard the cruise ship that she and Tim were on. He was 22 years old and immediately had a huge crush on Julie. What do you mean a petty officer? That's what they're called. They're, he was just a, um, like, employed by the cruise ship and worked for the captain. So he wasn't like a... Oh, he was a sailor. Yeah. Okay. I, okay. Got it. I thought he was like an air marshal, but of the water. No. A boat marshal. Sailor. Sailor. Got it. Okay. Yep. Uh, George was from Kavala, Greece. 
And Julie was super, super used to the attention, but because of his charming nature and obvious infatuation, she flirted back just a little bit. Well, I mean, she wasn't feeling really super great about herself. Exactly. It happens. Tim was also really used to Julie getting attention, and he said he wasn't the jealous type. He said, and I quote, there are a lot of people around. It wasn't like it was just George and Julie. Have you seen Julie? People talk to her all the time. You can't be married to a model and be jealous. That's very true. Yes. During the rest of the cruise, George would seek out Julie and Tim and make conversation. Tim didn't think much of of it other than maybe he just had like a small crush on Julie, which just wasn't that out of the realm of possible. Yeah. Yeah. However, when Tim wasn't around, George would call or George would tell Julie she was the most beautiful woman he had ever seen and that he was falling madly in love with her. Oh, very quick. Little did he know that little did Tim know that Julie had exchanged contact info with George and was starting to entertain the idea of doing more than just a little flirting. Ooh, delicious scandal. After Julie and Tim got home, things were a little better, but after a few months, Julie came to Tim and said that they should go on another cruise together. Uh-huh. And Tim was like, I mean, okay, go ahead, book it. And Julie did. And when Tim asked where they were going, he found out that she had booked the exact same cruise that they had already been on. Well, she had such a good time before. Yep. And George would be working on the cruise as well. He didn't know that Julie and George had been almost in constant contact. As contact as long distance can be in 1997 without a smartphone. <laughs> they were on AIM. They wrote letters, called each other, and sent faxes. <laughs> and I have photos of these faxes. Fax me, BB. <laughs> I can't. The audacity. Truly. Because they were faxing each other from Tim's business fax machine. What? Because she w- worked in the office with him. She ran like their front desk. Oh my god. And there were faxes of them just like writing little doodles to each other like love you babe hearts like she wrote like Julie Skiadopoulos on her on his like on these faxes she was sending to this man. No shame. Wow. Yeah. Girl had a bad. Yeah so we didn't find out about any of that until much later but I just okay. think that um the faxing was... <laughs> To live in those days. Ah, yes. To flirt by facts. Yes. Uh, In February 1998, they went on the second cruise to the Caribbean despite Tim being like, this is kind of weird. During that cruise, George and Julie snuck around and the full-blown affair began. George made her feel pretty, loved, and cherished. There wasn't anything that she wouldn't do for him. He begged her to leave Tim and move to Greece with him, and she wanted to, but she didn't want to leave her daughter Katie behind. When Julie and Tim returned home, Tim started to finally notice that Julie was preoccupied. He confronted her when he found phone bills and fax bills equaling out to be about $7,000. Holy shit. Oh, hold on. I have to back up and giggle about fax bill. Fax bills? <laughs> my, my fax bill is astronomical, Julie. Who are you faxing? Oh, let me show you all my little cartoon doodles of me walking down the aisle to George. Oh, my gosh. Uh, I mean, can you imagine? It was like 1996. Do you remember the fear of trying to get on the, uh, the internet on your smartphone? Oh, and having to like ex- exit out so fast so I your mom didn't yell at you? Take the battery out. Oh, that's a good. I didn't ever do that. I just prayed and hoped that my fingers could <laughs> exit out fast enough. enough. <laughs> uh, but I mean, think of that like 20 extra dollars. <laughs> oh, God. And suddenly, per second, $7,000. Yikes. 
Julie confessed that she was involved with George and filed for divorce in November of 1998. They shared custody of Katie, and Julie started going by her maiden name Scully and was discussing a move to Greece with George. Wow. She received $600,000 in a divorce settlement from Tim after she cheated on him. I'm sorry, why is he stressing about a $7,000 fax bill? Uh, I would still be stressing about a $7,000 fax bill. Are you kidding? If I got 60 grand in the bank, I wouldn't even... 60 grand. 600... 600,000. 600 grand. Yeah. In the bank. I would not even notice a $7,000 Well, that's the thing is that he didn't notice it right away. Well. And he just started paying attention to like... Accounting. Suddenly was probably trying to do his taxes and was like, what the hell is happening? Uh, so at some point she talked to Tim about taking Katie with her to Greece and he said absolutely the fuck not you're not taking the Katie I don't blame him I don't either Julie and George visited Kavala in August September which is when the height of the tourist season was in that area and she was able to stay out all night chat with other tourists some locals and stay on the beach all day she was having the time of her life in the bustling Grecian city love that for her Julie flew George to New Jersey to stay with her for a while and meet all of her family and friends. And let me put this very lightly, they hated him with a black fiery passion. Oh, really? Absolutely horrible. They all saw red flags popping off left, right, and center. Ooh, okay. No one could convince Julie that George wasn't the kind, sweethearted man that she had fallen in love with. Julie was spoiling George. She took him shopping and bought him an expensive hairpiece because he was balding. He, she just spent all of her money on him. Wow. Her friends described him as creepy, and it was almost laughable that she would leave Tim for this frumpy, odd man. Really? Yeah. Okay. At a party, one of her friends tried to get her alone to talk to her, but George wouldn't leave her side. He even followed her to the bathroom and waited outside the door. What? To say he was possessive was a huge understatement. Oh my god, okay. He gross. got into Yeah, this this is where things get even more gross. Okay. He got into an argument with Julie's mom and threatened to strangle her. What? Julie chalked it up to him being protective and that he would never actually hurt anybody. Oh no, no. Right. And some sources say that he actually did grab her mother, while others say it was just a threat. So there's conflicting account information. Yeah, no. Yeah, no. no. I would strangle you myself. Absolutely. At the end of the day, this resulted in Tim getting a restraining order against George to protect his daughter. Despite all of this, George was still able to convince her to move to Greece with the condition that she'd be able to fly home frequently to see Katie. Before her big move, she had a friend over who saw all the boxes in an empty apartment and thought, oh my god, this is actually happening. By December of 1999, Julie had sent all of her things and moved to Greece with George. Wow. At first, things were okay in Greece. She loved the scenery and being with George, and they moved in with his parents until they could find a place of their own. They immediately applied for a marriage license and wanted to get married quickly. Julie had told George that they could use some of the $600,000 settlement so George could start a cab driving company. Aww. However, the hope of a bustling tourist town was dashed as December is the off-season, so all the shops, restaurants, galleries, and sporting stores had closed for the season. Okay. So she moved into basically a deserted town. Great. Nothing to do. Nope. And she didn't speak Greek, and George's family didn't speak English. Oh, well, guess you're just going to be quiet for a while. Yep. 
She was missing her friends, family, and mostly her daughter, but George reassured her that once all the things were settled, she would be able to go see them. She felt incredibly isolated in Greece because the only person she could communicate was with her fiancé. Wow. Things in George's mom's house were tense, but it got so much worse when they found out Julie already had a daughter. They threw them out into the street, and George and Julie moved into a hotel. Wow. Yeah. Julie celebrated her 31st birthday in Kavala on January 3rd. She called her friend Cheryl that day and told her how much she missed home and her daughter. She was drunk, and she told Cheryl that she had to go because the... she had to go because if the liquor wore off before it was time for her to go to her future mother-in-law's, she wouldn't want to go. Mm. She called her friends Susan and Tracy and had similar conversations about how much she missed Katie. And she asked Tracy how Katie was doing. And Julie said, everyone said Katie is fine, but she didn't believe them. And Tracy said, I'll tell you the truth. Your daughter is not okay. She needs her mom. Oh. Sometime between the third and the sixth, she calls Tim and says that she wants to come home. He said, no one is stopping you, and she asked if she came home if she could have Katie. Tim was very hesitant and said that that would be up for discussion when she got home and got her life together. So, yeah. like, call me back when you get a house, when you're Settled. back on your feet. Yeah. With your $600,000, like, you'll be fine. Yes. Um, on January 11th, George calls one of Julie's friends, Susan, back in the States and asks if she has heard from Julie. And Susan's like, no, what the fuck, why? She's with you. And George told her that he and Julie had gotten into an argument. They had gone to Athens to pick up Julie's items from customs. They needed to make some calls and was using a payphone. Julie was hungry and didn't want to wait for George to make these calls. So she said she was going to go ahead and go to the McDonald's and stormed off. Mm. George made his calls at the payphone. And when he got to the McDonald's, Julie was nowhere to be found. He looked for her for 12 hours before he decided to call Susan. Oh, 12 hours? Yep. That seems long. Seems like a long time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. In the show Murder in Paradise, Julie is painted in poor light, in my opinion. And I just, I think they kind of shamed her for wanting this life. And it didn't really sit super well with me. Yeah. And I'm also not, like, a person that's, like, I, I'm a don't speak ill of the dead person. Like, I knew that she had, she gets murdered. Right. Um, But... I also want the truth. So at any rate, her friends said (laughs) that at first they just thought that she had gone to a hotel to hide out for a few days to punish George, that they had gotten into a fight and she was just being a bitch about it. Honestly, that sounds like some shit I would do (laughs) if I pushed to the limit. I mean, same, but I just the the show was really well done and it had like a bunch of interviews and they interviewed Tim and her friends and her mom and all these people. But the the commentary kind of over. The whole show was very much like Julie was this star. She couldn't live outside of the spotlight. She always oh, yearned for please. more. It was just kind of gross. But yeah. I mean. Unsavory. Yeah. But her friends were like, no, she's kind of bitch. Like she probably was in a hotel yeah. hiding from him. Yeah. And he, she wanted him to freak out. That's sure. kind of what they all thought for the first couple of days. Okay. Well. Anyway, Susan called Tim to let him know that Julie was missing. And Tim immediately was like, well, she probably just hopped on a plane and went somewhere new and fun. Uh, he and he thought maybe she was on her way home because they had just had that conversation about her coming back right yeah everyone started to uh kind of think that until they started asking uh, george about where her passport was and where is all her luggage after 24 hours george was george alerted the local police of julie's disappearance and he also went to the american embassy 
One of her friends, Tracy, asked Tim for her credit card information so she could start tracking if Julie was spending any money, which she was not. Okay. Tracy also called the American Embassy in Greece for help and was met with hostility. They told her that people disappear all the time in Greece and that George had probably sold Julie into the sex trade for money. Oh, what a fucking unhelpful tidbit of information. Right. Are you not the embassy? Right. Uh, Greece has almost 40,000 victims of human trafficking a year. What? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Jesus. I, that's a staggering statistic and it's very sad. Yeah, it is. They're just like, nah, stop calling here. She's probably in the sex trade. Bye. Yeah, yeah. At the end of the day, they were like, she's not their type. She's not the type for sex sex trafficking. She was in her 30s. She was dark complected, dark hair. While she was beautiful, she wasn't um like small, like easily pocket size. She's she was like five seven, like tall, statuesque woman. What a babe. That like knew her didn't know her way around, but like she was a fighter. They probably wouldn't have grabbed her. Yeah. Um, so Tim was like, this is absolutely ridiculous. Don't ever talk to me about sex trafficking again. <laughs> He's kind of terrible, but I get, I get it. Yeah. Um, anyway, the, unfortunately, the Greek police didn't seem to be interested in Julie's case. So her friends took it upon themselves to find her. Wow. They put out a press release, and Tim had a contact in politics that would help get attention to Julie's case. The media ran with the story because some of the reporters remembered her from her modeling days and wanted to help. However, George didn't appreciate all the immediate attention. Well, no shit. Mm Mm-hmm. He said that people were looking at him like he had something to do with her disappearance and wanted Tracy to stop bringing the media into it. Oh, my God. After five days, there was still no word from Julie, and her friends were getting desperate. George would call Julie's friends and keep them updating, keep them updated on what was happening in Greece as far as the search went. It seemed that George was as worried as what they were, but he wasn't handing out missing persons flyers, which her friends thought was super weird. Yeah. His daily updates were all they had as a tie to Julie. Although some of them suspected him, they knew if they alienated him, they would lose their connection to Greece. Right. They ended up hiring a private investigator in Greece who learned that George was very well liked and respected in Kavala. However, he did unearth some of George's history. He had attacked his father, stabbed him, and pushed him down the steps. He was diagnosed with schizophrenia, and he spent quite a chunk of time of his adult life in a mental hospital. Ooh. Well. And that's not all stuff that, no, like, nobody knew any of that. That was all secrets. Okay. Uh, It was all secrets. Secrets and lies. (laughs) Finally, the PI tracked down the rental car George and Julie were using, and the owner of the rental car agency tells him that George didn't return the car on time. They had to call him and tell him that if he didn't get the car back in the next 24 hours, they would call the authorities. He returned the car the very next day, and George said there was a crack on one of the windows caused by another car. However, the scratch was not on the outside of the car. It was on the inside. There was a horrible odor in the car. It smelled like a dead animal. Oh, oh no. When they opened the trunk, they discovered traces of blood. (gasps) And the rental place contacted the authorities. As they should. Yep. At this point, Tim reaches out to his friend, Tony Capello, who was that congressman who helped get the ball rolling to have George officially questioned in Greece. A journalist interviews George, and he has, like, big suspicions and also talks to the police to tell them to take a a closer look at George. Ooh. Finally, they gave in. 
and actually questioned George for the first time. Oh my, how long has she been missing at this point? Two weeks. Jesus. What are they doing over there in Greece? Not caring about Americans going missing. Apparently not. (laughs) Eating figs and smoking cigars. Yes. Two weeks after Julie's disappearance, the police show up at his house and after a brief interview, take him into custody. At first, George denied having anything to do with Julie's disappearance. Soon, however, he cracks and admits to killing Julie. Wow. During the car ride to Athens to retrieve her belongings, Julie tells George that she wants to call off the wedding and go home. George sees his bright future disappear. No more hot fiancé wife. No more business venture. No more spoils of having a wealthy life. Jeez. They got into a fight and George pulled over on a rural road and put his hands around her neck. He strangled her with his bare hands. Oh my god. Yeah. After he realized what he had done, he'd panicked. In an attempt to discard Julie's body, he put her in the trunk, goes to the gas station, and gets a couple gallons of gasoline. He took her to a remote area and tried to burn her body, but it was raining, and so it wouldn't light. He put her back in the trunk, goes to his grandmother's house to get a suitcase. This is disgusting. It's just, it's going to get bad for a hot minute. Okay. Most of her fit in the suitcase, but not all of her, so he got a hacksaw and cut off her head. Oh my god! Sorry. Yeah, it's not good. Oh, Jesus, George. Maniac. Yeah. He took the suitcase with Julie inside and sunk it to the bottom of a man-made lake, and then he took her head and threw it into the Aegean Sea. Wow. George took, uh, took the police where he sunk her body. And a diver searched for the suitcase for hours, and on his third dive, he found it. As soon as they brought it to the surface, blood started pouring from the case. They searched the sea for days, but were not able to locate her head. Oh, my God. George Skiadopoulos was sentenced to life in prison. However, Greece focuses on criminal rehabilitation. He spent eight years behind bars before he was let go. His defense attorney said that he killed Julie with the demons of the moment, and no one knows how they would react in that same situation. Um, Excuse me, sir. People get broken up with all the time and don't kill the other person. Nothing to strangle people over. Yep. George was released in 2007 and is now married with children living in Kavala, Greece. What? Yep. And that is the murder of Julie Scully. Fucking ew, Taylor. <laughs> I'm sorry. Jeez. Where did you find this? It was a show called Murder in Paradise. <laughs> oh my god. What? Yep. So her head is just out at sea? They think they found it in 2013, I think. Um, a skull washed up on oh. the shore, and it was a woman about the same age. I have never. Oh my god, her poor daughter. Yeah. Ew. And George has kids? Yeah. Yeah. This is... Can you imagine getting married? To somebody who killed their girlfriend when they tried to break up with them? Right. No. I cannot. I... Oh, God. Like, uh, that new wife, her friends, must have been like, bitch, what? What? Girl, what are you doing? Does she not know? Like, respectfully, I have to decline. I'm... If you try to marry this man, I'm going to kidnap you. Yeah. And sell you into the sex trade in Greece. (laughs) That's how we solve this problem. (laughs) JK. That's not funny. That sucks. I hate that. Yeah. Mine is not dark and twisty like that. Sorry. It's okay. I was like, it's it's a... You said it was a shrimpy. I mean, it was sure. 
ish. It was only like 20 minutes. We need That's to short fight. for me. Girl, we need to find ways to differentiate between like length and the level Gross. of brutality. <laughs> Okay, that's that's fair. Okay. I'll give you like a how about I just start with like a page number? Like I'll be like five pages but extra gooey. Okay. There ew gooey. Why is it gotta be gooey? <laughs> I'm so sorry. Oh, oh my god. You know, Jenny, I think it's past time for us to have another horror movie night. Girl agreed. I will grab the white claw, you grab the cats in a movie. Uh, perfect. I have to show you the movie night outfit I just got. Why do you have a movie night outfit, Taylor? I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> because I just discovered Wicked Cat Clothing, and let me tell you, Stephanie, the designer, is definitely one of our people. She's got a degree in design, a love for all things Halloween, horror, paranormal, and cats. Her clothing and accessory designs are dark and spooky, but with a little bit of spice. Definitely right up our alley. I'm in love with the Not All Witches Live in Salem t-shirt. I thought you would like that one. I am going to rock my Bloody Mary hoodie dress during movie night. I can't wait for you to see it. Oh my gosh, even better news. Our listeners get 30% off any order at wickedcatclothing.com. Just use our code GRIM30 at checkout. We are so excited for this collab, so go support another small business. That's GRIM30 at checkout for 30% off of your order. All right, yours is not grotesque. Okay, no, mine is not grotesque. Mine is mostly very cool, um, <clears throat> historical, sticking with the theme from last week, which I don't know if anybody knows what it is yet, but you might have a better idea after this. I don't think I know what the theme is, and I sit here with you, so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I say it like 67 times. Oh, okay. So I will be fully prepared understanding. Yes, I'll point at you when I say it. Excellent. Okay. Most of the time when we think about the wild, wild west. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> Stupid. <laughs> okay. All right. Wild, wild west. Got the wild, it. wild west. We think of cowboys and bandits and corrupt sheriffs. Hollywood depicts the west as a crime-filled zone made up of bearded men fighting for their land, searching for gold, or protecting women. But some of the most badass people in the wild west were, in fact, women, who rose up and made a name for themselves as some of the best sharpshooters or meanest criminals. <gasps> Fun! I know. Are you doing Annie Oakley? I'm... She... Uh, well, she makes a brief appearance. Okay, okay, cool, cool, cool. So... Others spent their days saving lives and helping others. One of these women is Annie Oakley. Okay. When Annie was 15 years old, she won a shooting match against traveling show marksman Frank E. Butler. The two were later married when they joined Buffalo Bill's Wild West show a few years later. Oakley became renowned for her sharpshooting skills and performed before royalty and heads of state. She encouraged the service of women in combat operation for the U.S. Armed Forces and penned a letter to President William McKinley offering... The government, the services of a company of 50 lady sharpshooters who would provide their own arms and ammunition oh should the U.S. go to war with Spain. Cool, right? I love that. But I don't love that women are like, let us in. We'll even bring our own stuff. I know. We have our own guns. Come on. Let us shoot things. Give women guns. Give if w- they ask for one. If they <laughs> Just they, give them guns. They should be able to have it. I agree. Let women do stuff. 
Annie Oakley is not who I'm going to talk about. Uh, where Annie Oakley used her impressive skill set for show and entertainment, she inspired Pearl Hart to live a ruthless and wild life of crime. Ooh, Pearl Hart. I love Pearl the name. Hart. I do too. And she's so cute. Is she? Yes. Do we have photos? Yes. Oh my God. Yes. yes. So Pearl Hart was one of the only female stagecoach robbers known to history and was a celebrity in her own right for her ruthless, deviant ways. Born as Pearl Taylor of French lineage in Lindsay, Ontario, Canada, she was one of several children raised in a well-respected and established upper-middle-class family. She received a good education from good parents who raised good children. She grew up in a stable, although mundane, life until at 17 years old, she met a man, and although she couldn't have known, he altered the path of her life forever. As they do. As men do. (laughs) Frederick Hart was tall, dark, and handsome gambler. He was seductive and a little, like, swaggy. And Pearl lost her absolute heckin' mind over this man. sounds like it. Yeah, she was 17, never been in love, until this, like, tall, dark, like, stranger. Rode in on his horse. Yup. I mean, same. She was sheltered and good-natured, and she didn't know the extent to which men can ruin your life, but she was about to find out. Oh, sweet baby angel. Sweet She's honey, about to find out. honey pie pants. The love-struck pair eloped, and Freddie occasionally worked as a bartender, but he was generally too busy losing whatever meager money he made at the poker table. He was a poor provider, and worse, was physically and emotionally abusive to oh, young Pearl. Babe. He lived for the bottom of the bottle and had a real bear of a temper when he was drinking or losing, and he was always doing either one or the other. The dreams Pearl had of their bright future was dashed as she learned that life with Freddie was one hardship after another, and she was left being greatly disappointed by a man, which, to be honest, who has not? I feel like that's going to be the title of the episode, Greatly Disappointed by a Man. <laughs> we're going we're gonna to group in a lot of people with this episode. Julie, Pearl, they got a lot in common. Greatly Disappointed by Men. Yes. That, yes, a theme. In 1893, the pair traveled to the Columbian Exposition in Chicago, where Freddie worked as a sideshow barker, and Pearl found a number of odd jobs here and there. Well, at the exposition, she became enamored by Amy, Annie Oakley, who was performing and showing off her incredible sharp sharp shooting skills. <laughs> sharp shooting skills. Sharp shooting skills. Uh, Pearl also visited the World's Fair Women's Pavilion, where she listened to a number of women's speeches, including Julia Ward Howe, a poet and a writer known for writing the Battle Hymn of the Republic. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's awesome. What badass women of this age. No kidding. She was um, also the original writer of the 1870 pacifist Mother's Day Proclamation. She advocated for abolitionism and was a raging social activist for women's suffrage. Pearl absorbed all of this strong-ass female, like, Wild West badassery. Um, and left her worthless, good-for-nothing, drinking, gambling, human, garbage-can husband and bought a one-way ticket to Trinidad, Colorado. We love to see it. We love to see it. Pearl set down some loosey-goosey roots and almost immediately became a local favorite saloon singer. Unfortunately, she soon learned something was missing in her life, her period. Uh-oh. After realizing she was pregnant and alone in the wild, wild west, she was in danger and booked it home to Ontario where she spent the rest of her pregnancy. She gave birth to a son who she left in the care of her mother and again traveled west in search of a dream of freedom. 
This time, she landed in Phoenix, Arizona, postpartum, and found her grand visions of the final frontier weren't exactly lining up with reality. <laughs> oh, uh, wow. There wasn't as much glamour or heroes, and she ended up back in a mundane rut, working at mundane rut, working as a cook in a cafe, and taking in laundry to supplement her income. Pearl was a tough old bird and stuck it out uh, in Phoenix until. 1895 when freddie got wind of her new life and went after his young and wayward bride no he begged and pleaded with pearl to begin their life anew he promised her he was done with the drink and saloons and that he would maintain a steady job which he actually did oh all right. mm-hmm. he became employed as a manager and bartender at a local hotel while their life certainly seemed happier, the pair started to dabble in a little too wild of the West. Hmm. Um, Pearl learned to smoke and drink in the local saloons and is rumored to have an affinity for marijuana and morphine. Oh. Yeah, we love to see it. Inevitably, the the couple was soon back on the rocks, and after Pearl birthed her second child, a daughter, Freddie decided that he was sick and goddamn tired of supporting a family and being faithful to his wife, and that domesticated life just wasn't for him any longer. After a long night of drinking, the two got into a violent argument, and Freddie knocked Pearl unconscious. Aww. When she woke up, she discovered he had rented off with Teddy Roosevelt's Rough Riders of Cuba. Oh, yeah. Okay. Pearl, lost and alone, once again, traveled with her daughter back to Ontario. Having a taste of freedom she had been searching for, she didn't stay long with her family and once again left her child in the care of her mother. After, Pearl found herself again back in Arizona, working several odd jobs at the gold mining camps. However, a woman alone in the Wild West is a hard thing to be, and Pearl attempted suicide several times. Mm. Each time, she was resuscitated by acquaintances. After a rough-and-tumble year in Arizona, Pearl soon linked up with Joe Boot. Joe Boot. Joe Boot, huh? Joe Boot, a local miner who would uh, help watch out for her whenever he could. When she received a letter from her brother that their mother was ailing and Pearl needed to send money for medical bills, she turned to Joe for advice. The two soon concocted a plan that Pearl would seduce and solicit men under the impression that there would be an opportunity for romance in her tent. Ooh. Mm Mm-hmm. Spicy. A spicy, but then she would donk him over the noggin and rob them and then kick him out. <laughs> Rapunzel style. Rapunzel Fry- style. Frying pan. Kick him, in, kick him into a pile of cactus and just get him on out of there. Yep. Um, it was a steady stream of income as young and pretty women were few and far between in Gold County, Arizona. Uh, the pair decided it was not enough and they concocted a new plan. A robbery <gasps> of a stagecoach. Ooh. After some careful consideration, the couple decided to rob the stagecoach that ran between Florence and Globe, Arizona. To prepare for the heist, Pearl chopped off her hair and dressed in Joe's clothing. On May 30th, 1899, they executed their plan. The dastardly duo jumped in front of the stagecoach with their guns drawn and ordered the driver to stop. As Joe kept his gun pointed at the driver, Pearl ushered the passengers out of the coach and emptied their pockets and wallets. After taking $448 and a revolver, the pair ordered the passengers back onto the coach and Joe fired his gun in the air for dramatic effect. Excellent. Before telling the driver to skedaddle and get on out of here, partner. Uh, was that a direct quote? Yeah. Yeah. There was a clip, actually. I'm so happy. Can we find it on the YouTube? Yeah, I'm sure. Great. <laughs> 
However, for all of their planning, uh, the dastardly duo had not prepared for the fact that they were not familiar with the desert around them at all. Uh-oh. Riding off on their horses, they soon got lost. After a few days, they made camp in a grove of trees, and after building a campfire, they fell asleep. Unfortunately, when they woke up, they were surrounded by the sheriff and his posse, taken to Globe Jail. Uh, Hart learned her, uh, her feminine side could be, like, used to her mm, advantage, mm-hmm. and played up her part as a lady bandit giving autographs and entertaining those who just wanted to get a glimpse of the bandit queen. Excellent. A few weeks after her capture, Pearl escaped from jail on uh, October 12th uh, with a fellow inmate, Ed Hogan. As the sheriff and his posse quickly pursued the pair, Pearl's legend began to grow throughout the entire Wild West. Her freedom was short and the long arm of the law found her and put her ass back into jail. Pearl stood trial in Florence in November of 1899, where she insisted the court had no right to place her on trial by simply stating, this is a direct quote. Okay. I shall not consent to be tried under a law in which my sex had no voice in making. Uh, Yes, girl. Damn, Pearl. Yes, girl. Like, not sure I, like, am in love with the stagecoach robbery, but, like, I'm here for this. Nobody died. No, it's just a couple hundred dollars. It's just money. Just a little bit of money. Um, though she admitted her guilt, she was still acquitted by the jury, mostly because her entire purpose of robbing the stagecoach was to send her sick mother money, um, and it won her a bunch of sympathy points. The magistrate, Judge Fletcher Doan, was pissed (laughs) at the verdict and, um, claimed that she flirted with the jury and bent them to her will. Huh. Which well, I mean, I mean don't have an all male jury. Well, th- this sounds like a you problem, yeah, not this a pearl is a problem. You problem. <laughs> she was retried and this time found guilty and sentenced to five years in Yuma Territorial Prison. Joe Boot was also tried and wasn't so lucky in his sentencing, and he was sent to the same prison for 50 years. Oh my God. However, he escaped in 1901 and was last heard from sprinting to the Mexican border. Oh, so he just peaced out. He just peaced out into the, into the night. Great. In the meantime, Pearl became even more of a celebrity while she was in prison. She was given a lot of prison perks, like good food and a bigger cell. Nice. While she was there, her legend grew, and she entertained visitors and was paroled in December of 1902. She moved to Kansas City to try and live off her fame, but disappeared out of the public eye until she was arrested for buying stolen canned goods. So, like, somebody somebody stole food and then sold it to her, and she got arrested for buying it. That's... Whack. So dumb. Right. Damn it. Um, so she was arrested under the name of Mrs. L.P. Keel. She slipped under the radar once again until she visited the old courthouse in Florence, Arizona, where her trial took place. While there, she said, she said to an attendant with a smile, oh, nothing much has changed here. And when asked who she was, she turned in the doorway and with a wink said, I'm Pearl Hart, the bandit queen. And that was the last we ever heard of her. Shut up. Mm-hmm. That's so good. <laughs> it's lighthearted. It's Look, light crime. Cute. We love. We love. We love a, a light crime after a beheading. Yes. Well, <laughs> I just thought we needed to improve the vibes. <laughs> Our vibes are immaculate, Jenny. <laughs> so be like Pearl Hart. Pearl Hart was a badass. Wow. That was so cool. Yeah. Just chasing a fever dream. Yeah. Well... Well, trying to just do the best for her mom and her family yeah. and 
you know, I mean, life sucks. Yeah. You know what? It's hard being a woman, especially back then. Oh, yeah. The Wild West was I probably would have done the same thing. Honestly, you would have done the same thing. Like ran away to the Wild West. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. I would like to think that I would do that, but I would probably just be a bartender for the rest of my life. That's fair. (laughs) On I would try to go out there, but I would get halfway through the woods. And be like, oh, I don't think I'm going to do this anymore. And then just live in Missouri for the rest of my life. Yeah. Yeah. That's facts. So that's the story of Pearl Hart. Wow. What's your bright and shiny? Um, My bright and shiny is that today, uh, well, this weekend, Ryan took uh, an extra day off. And we just kind of got to hang out. And we went to Ikea. Oh. And we went to a cute restaurant in Indy and just kind of walked around downtown for a little while. It was cold and rainy, but that's okay. We still had a nice time. Love a little date day for you, yeah. too. That is so wholesome. Yeah. What was yours? Um, My bright and shiny is going to be how deeply I feel like I've been, like, buried under anxiety and fear for so long that I have been unable to count my blessings mm. Um, of... Being able to take the time to care for my mental health. It's a luxury that a lot of people don't get. Yeah. So. Your mental health is as important as your physical health and you got to take care of both things. Mm-hmm. Yes, you do. So. Better help. Sponsor us. Yeah. <laughs> we love a therapist. We love a good therapist. Yes. So. Actually, my last um appointment that I had with Kevin was like my best therapy session. Was it? Oh my god. Oh yeah. good. Yeah I cleared the air. I told him I was pissed at him from when I left the last time. Yeah. How do you take it? He's he's like I don't care. I don't care. <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> yeah that sounds right. Yeah. So go to therapy. Yeah. Follow us on the social media. Yeah. And you can send us uh, your listener stories at a little bit grim at gmail.com. And... Or you can go to the website a little bit grim.com. Yeah do it there you can find us i'll find all our things there uh-huh you and can order some merch there if you feel so inclined mm-hmm. join our facebook group it's fun you can leave us a review and don't forget to be kind to yourself and to others goodbye, goodbye. <laughs>